a lot has changed about the world, uh, even since I was just a little kid. I can remember before there was internet. Now I teach high schoolers, they have a hard time imagining this. What you could even do in the world before there was internet. How would you possibly spend a day uh, without YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and those kind of things? One of the, I would want to suggest that tonight, one of the best things about a world with internet are YouTube videos, particularly of embarrassing situations with family members, okay? Uh, at this point, my family's very nervous. <laughs> What's coming? I don't know if you've seen this or not. As far as I can tell, this traces back to a guy named Jimmy Fallon. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. But he has, he's a prophet of God. He's a, a comedian, okay? He had, a few years ago, put out a challenge for parents to videotape uh, them telling their children that they had eaten all of their Halloween candy. I don't know if you've seen this or not. And the reactions were brilliant. I mean, kids freaking out, crying, calling their parents fat and stupid and ugly, and saying, I spent all night finding all that candy, and you ate it all, and it's, it was brilliant. And then he came up with another challenge, which was to give your kids a bad Christmas present. Which, by the way, it's not too late to do this, okay? You film it, right? Your little smartphone, and you send it in. And again, the reactions were pretty, were pretty great. There was one kid in particular who had his heart set on some sort of PlayStation, Xbox, some sort of gaming console like that, and instead he opened it up to a, a set of Barbies. Uh, <laughs> the pure rage that came across his little boy's face was, was just great. Um, it was not the surprise he was, was hoping for. It was a bad surprise. Uh, what I want to say tonight, kind of the, the, the message we want to get across, is that Christmas, the, the time of Christmas, we remember the birth of Jesus... In fact, it's not a bad surprise, but it's, it's a good surprise. Perhaps the best surprise the world has ever, has ever experienced. It's a mysterious time for Christians. Just like a child who, who stays up at night anticipating what's going to come on Christmas Day, full of surprise uh, when they're opening up their gifts. So you and I as Christians, I think, should approach this season, should approach this, this historical event of Jesus being born with a sense of anticipation and surprise. It's a very... A mysterious time for Christians. I think the Gospel of John gets across the mystery of the Christmas season, perhaps uh, better than the other Gospel writers. I'll read for you John verse 14. This is John's version of the Christmas story. He says this, And the Word, which is his name for Jesus, the Son of God, eternal God, created all things. The Word became flesh. God became man and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Surprising, God becomes a human being. As Christians, when we celebrate Christmas, we're not just celebrating the the birth of an extraordinary man, the birth of an interesting man, the birth of this historical anomaly. We're celebrating as mysterious and profound and sometimes perplexing as it is, the act of God himself becoming a human being. The God who created all things. The God who's existed for all of eternity. The God who holds all things together at all times. Choosing to live life as a man. So that, John would say, you and I might be adopted into God's family. We might become sons and daughters of God. It's a surprise. And if we really were to sit down and think about it and let it, let it sink in into the inner depths of who we are, it's a surprise that God would do this. The correct posture, I think, for Christians at Christmas is one of, of being surprised, is one of being a little perplexed, is one of going, how odd that God would act in this way. We've got to be careful, though, because I think 
sometimes we miss out on the surprise of Christmas. I think sometimes we misplace the surprise of Christmas. What I mean by that is, I think the real surprise of Christmas is not just that God did this. That God has chosen to act in this way. I think the real surprise of Christmas is who God is. Is what he's like. You see, God's actions are always consistent with his character, with his nature. When God be, uh, decides to become a human being, we, we get this very special insight into the character and nature of God. It's much more surprising than just the fact that God would do this. The real surprise of Christmas is that God is like this. That he's the kind of God who becomes a human being to save his creation. We might say it like this. We've been kind of working through the implications of this, this truth, the incarnation is what we call it, God becoming man, over the past few weeks. Um, we might say the real surprise of Christmas is not that God did something extraordinarily out of character. The real surprise of Christmas is that God's character is extraordinary. That God would choose to act this way reveals to us who God is, his nature, his character. In fact, John will go on to, to highlight this. In verse 15 he says, uh, John the Baptist bore witness about Jesus, crying out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then verse 18, this is the big surprise for John. He says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The truth of the incarnation, the kind of radical implication of God becoming man, is that God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus, in the act of the incarnation. And he's revealed himself to us as the kind of God that we never would have imagined. If you, if you look at all the different kinds of gods that human beings have imagined, okay, throughout all of history, we've always come up with these different kinds of gods. And, and they're all similar and consistent in certain ways. You, you either have gods who are small and nasty, you get involved in the day-to-day life like, of human beings like Zeus and Hercules, and, and if you slight them, they'll kind of take you down. You don't want to mess with them. Or you get gods who are distant and aloof, who, who kind of never interact with the world. But the God revealed in Jesus is a, is a far different type of God than we've, ever, than we've ever thought of, than we've ever thought that we could imagine, than we ever thought might exist. No one's seen God, John says, but, but Jesus has revealed him to us. Two years ago, I surveyed a group of 350 high schoolers uh, who, for the most part, had grown up in a Christian environment. So in church, in Christian school, and I asked them, who is God? Define for me who God is. What's he like? How would you explain this to somebody if they asked you, who is God? And I gave them a few different opportunities. I said, give me a sentence about God. Then I said, list out three attributes I got about God. And the results I got back were very surprising. Um, as I kind of tallied and put together all the different little results, um, what I found was, first, the answers about who God was that these high schoolers gave we're all very different. Out of a group of, of 350 high schoolers who had all kind of grown up in this Christian environment, it seemed like there wasn't one real consistent, solid answer that they gave. It was, it was pretty remarkably varied, the different languages they used, the different words they picked. The second thing I found was this. There was almost nothing distinctively Christian about it. What I mean by this is, is the God that almost all of these children described was a vague God, was a generic God, was the kind of God... That, that kind of everybody agrees on in this generic, vague, 
public sense. So, so for instance, um, God is the creator of all things. God is all-powerful. God is unmovable. God is eternal. He's never been created. And what's interesting about this is I sat down and, and looked at the most common responses about who God is. What I found is that um, the, the majority of the responses actually could apply to any religion, any of the, the major monotheistic religions. I mean, there is nothing that, there's rarely mention of Jesus, there's rarely mention of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's this sense that everybody knows who God is. And I'm worried that when we come to Christmas, we might miss out on the surprise, the surprise of what God is really like revealed in Jesus. That we might go, we know what God is like, we know who he is, and it's just surprising that he would do this. When in fact, I think the, the much more radical implication of Christmas is that it's surprising that this is what God's like. That this is who he is. That in the act of the incarnation, we find a God who's so loving, who is so inherently full of grace and mercy and forgiveness, that he would, in radical humility, become a human being, suffer, take on human nature, just so that he might save, so that he might redeem. I want to suggest that the manger is not an anomaly for God. When, when God becomes a baby, this is actually an expression of who he is from all of eternity. He is love, First John would say. Inherently, for all of eternity, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has lived in love. And it, it goes like this with the cross as well. When Jesus goes and dies on the cross, this is not an unusual thing for God to do. This is kind of the fullest expression of who God is. It might be surprising when we think of God, we think of someone who is above all things. Someone who can't be bothered with small things. Someone who, who doesn't experience suffering. Someone who doesn't stoop down. Someone who's not humble. Someone who's not very patient. The God revealed in Jesus, the God revealed at Christmas, is much different than that kind of vague, generic God that we all thought we knew about. John says, no one's ever seen God, but when you look in the manger, you see who God really is. When you see this young Jewish man, Jesus, you see who God really is. You see what he's really like. And it turns out he's nothing like what we, we perhaps thought God would be like. God is patient, and God is humble. And God desires to love and redeem his creation so much so that he's willing to suffer and die. That the God who created all things is willing to, to allow his enemies to kill him. That he might love them and redeem them. That he might reconcile them. This is not the God, perhaps, that we had imagined. I'll give you a, a test, okay, for whether you've really allowed this to sink in. you really allowed Christmas to shape your picture of God. The test is this. When you imagine Jesus coming back, do you imagine him in the same way as he lived during his, his first coming, during his life previously a couple thousand years ago? If you've read the Gospels, you're familiar that Jesus revealing God to us was this very humble man, this very patient man, this very loving man. It seemed like Jesus preferred the company of outcasts and sinners over the company of religious people. Jesus was a man who loved his enemies and commanded his disciples to love his enemies. Jesus was a man, in fact, who would rather be killed by his enemies than kill his enemies. Do you remember this in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's about to be arrested, and his disciples want to fight. They want to protect their lives, and Jesus says, 
You don't understand. We could do that. I could call down angels right now, and we could we could kill all of these these people. We could kill all of my enemies. But that's not how I work. That's not who I am. That's not who God is. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke six, "Be kind to the ungrateful. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you." He says because this is what your Father is like. When he exercises these characteristics, the disciples come to him and say, will you show us the Father? Will you show us God? And he says, have you not seen me? If you've seen me, you've seen God. No one's ever seen God, but now we've seen him in the crib. Now we've seen him in Galilee. Now we've seen him on the mount preaching. Now we've seen him on Golgotha dying. Now we've seen him resurrected in glory. But often we imagine Jesus coming back as a, a warrior, as one who's coming to kill and shed blood. Um, in fact, one of the, the most popular preachers uh, in America tweeted this today. I, I read it and I thought, oh, this is great. Uh, he, he tweeted this, Jesus came the first time in patience for salvation, but he will come a second time in vengeance for damnation. This is, I think, a, a common sentiment, that Jesus came first, meek and mild, but when he comes back, watch out. He's on a horse, he's got a sword, there's going to be blood that's shed. But I, I want to question that. I want to say perhaps there are other ways to read the book of Revelation, which is where we get that picture. I want to say perhaps God's character is consistent. That perhaps when God comes, he always comes in humility and love and patience. That when God comes in a manger, this is not unusual for God. When God dies on a cross to forgive, this is not unusual for God. This is instead an expression, a revelation a revealing of who God is, who he's been, what he's been like for all of eternity. Christmas comes as a massive surprise. But don't miss it. The surprise is not that God did something out of character. The surprise is that God's character is better than we ever imagined. That the God we worship, the God we serve, is a God of eternal, radical humility and love and grace and forgiveness. That the God we worship is none other than the Jesus we see meet people in the darkest situations of their life and say, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. I have no shame and condemnation for you. I have forgiveness and mercy and grace. I desire you to walk in new life. This is the surprise of Christmas. That this is what God is actually like. He's a God who knows no limits to his pursuit of what he loves who knows no limits to the love he shows toward those who are his enemies. Romans 5 says, How great the love of God, that while we were yet enemies, he died for us. We didn't clean ourselves up. We didn't deserve this. We didn't walk towards him. While we were his enemies, he, he died for us. In fact, on the cross, as Jesus is being killed. Do you remember this? He's praying for the people killing him. This is who God's like, John says. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. No one's seen God, but you've seen the Son. He reveals God to us. How surprising that this is what God's like. How surprising. Let me give you a a real deep and profound kind of spiritual truth tonight. The truth is this. You become like what you worship. You'll see this play itself out with kids who who maybe idolize a celebrity. You'll see them kind of start to dress like that celebrity, talk like that celebrity, um, kind of take on those characteristics, right? Or if you idolize money, you'll become this kind of human accountant. Everything will be seen in terms of dollars and cents. If you idolize sex, works the same way. On and on and on. You become like what you worship. What you think is cool. What you think is worth emulating. What you think is good. Those are the things you're going to start to 
to imitate, the, the things that you're going to start to take on their characteristics. You and I are called to reflect the image of the Son, the image of the true God revealed in the Son. We're called to live lives of compassion and love, loving even our enemies, loving our neighbors as ourselves, feeding the poor, clothing the naked, loving the unlovable, using our time and our money and our skills and our resources to bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. You become like what you worship. At Christmas, make sure that you understand what really is going on, that this is really the God that we're worshiping. It's a God of of love and forgiveness and mercy. It's a God whose love knows no limits. It's a God of self-sacrificial pursuit. The more we we can get that, the more we can critique our images of God and replace them with an image of God in Christ, the more we'll find ourselves acting in such ways, the more we'll find ourselves becoming people of compassion and love, forgiveness and grace, people who who love our enemies, people who seek to, to help those who are less fortunate than us. This Christmas, I hope that as we worship, I hope that as we we remember Christ's birth, I hope that we'd be surprised. And I hope that in our, our surprisement, we'd come to more and more reflect the God who's been revealed to us in the manger. Will you pray with me?